0: If you would, take your Bibles and uh, turn to Matthew 28, is where we're going to start today is Matthew chapter 28, and the uh, title of the message this morning is Go and Tell. I have to admit, uh, this, this semester I'm taking a couple different classes on my master's, and one of the classes that I was required to take is a personal evangelism class. Well, I took that in under my undergrad at Bible College, and to be honest with you, I'm like, oh, this just takes me one more class, just one more class. But then I have to really be honest with myself and say, wait a minute, all the time when pastors meet other pastors, they always ask this one question, how's your church doing? What they really want to know is what? How many people attend your church? How big is your church? And sometimes I usually will jokingly say, well, we're somewhere between three and 400. And uh And I'm not lying, because we are between three and 400. We just happen to be around, you know, 90. (laughs) Some of you will get that tomorrow. At any rate, so... uh, (laughs) At any rate, um, but I often will, after I explain that, I will usually come to the conclusion and say, listen, I think there's some things that we do well as a church. And then I think there's some things that we really need to improve on. And I also know this, although I don't want to admit it, is that a lot of times the things that we struggle with in the church are direct results of what your pastor struggles with. And the things that we do well with are oftentimes things that your pastor does well with. And as I thought about this, more and more there, I looked at my life, I said there have been times in my life where I could had all the boldness that could possibly give into one person and never worry about anything talking to anybody. And I uh, talked to a complete stranger I've never met before, like I've known him for 20 years, And then there's times in my life where I was just like, I'm too big a hurry, I don't want to take time, I don't want to, but you should probably share your faith. Well, I don't have time for that right now. i got things i got to get done. Anybody been there? And so the one thing I will usually share with my pastor friends is I think the one thing we need to improve on in our church is sharing our faith. Um, And then there's times that you talk to people about that within our church and they say, well, I think people are doing that. And I have to come back and answer the question. Are we seeing people saved? Are we seeing people come to know the Lord? I mean, outside of teaching a Sunday school class and one of the kids saying, I need that. Praise God for that. 85% of every decision made for Christ happens between the ages of 4 and 14. That's awesome. But what about outside the walls of our church? How well do we do at that? How well do we let God use us to speak into the lives of those that need what we have? And if I'm honest with myself, as much as I was irritated with having to take a class I've already had before in my undergrad, God reminded me that you need this, Ken. You need this. And then they proceed to give me 175 verses I have to have memorized for verse quizzes every week. I have to type from memory. I'm like, I'm I'm exaggerating just a little bit. Okay, a lot. Um, But how often do we need something that's been given to us to make us do something that we know we should do? And not that we should do it out of compulsion. Not that we should do it because someone requires it but we should do it because we care. Amen? So, as we go through these next several weeks, and one of the things I've been concentrating on this summer is our outreach and evangelism. That was the whole reason why we did the study, The Art of Neighboring, so that we could literally take the command that God gave to us to love your neighbor as yourself. But what if he actually meant, really, love your neighbor? Your next-door neighbor the one that's right here beside you, and the one next door to him, and the one that's on this side, and the one that's next door to him, and the one that's behind you too, or the one across the street. What if when God said, love your neighbor, he literally met your neighbor? What an interesting concept that might be, right? But you know what we found out from various people in the class even is that, man, I've lived next door to my neighbor for years and I really haven't had a conversation with him. I thought... That can be me sometimes. Maybe it can be you too. But it has been said that there is one thing that believers and unbelievers alike have in common. They are both uptight about evangelism. And that is true. They're both uptight about evangelism. The one doing it really doesn't want to do it, but they kind of feel a little bit compelled to do it. And the one receiving it, oftentimes, depending on how it's Done. Doesn't want to receive it. They're both uptight about it. In fact, just this week, my wife observed someone passing out tracts, and as they were passing out tracts, the person in the, in, in the you know, parking lot said, no, I don't want these things. Oh, you're going to take it, and they threw it in the cart anyway, to which they just take it out and throw it away. So what did you do for the cause of Christ? Let's think about this, folks. We have the greatest hope that anyone could ever have. Amen? What are we doing with it? I've said for years, we kind of treat it like a safe. Our our life is like a safe. We we spin the dial, we open the door, we let Christ in, then we slam the door shut, we spin the dial, and nobody can take away my salvation. Nobody has access. I mean, the bottom line is, I can't lose it. It's in there, it's tight. In fact, I I just lost the combination. Nobody can take my salvation away. And neither does anyone else have access to. This should be a free gift. As it was given to us, we freely give. So listen to the very words of Jesus as he was speaking to his disciples. "'Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit,' teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And Mark chapter 16, verse 15 is a very similar passage. It says, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news to every creature. As you think about this thing, the word go, as you are going, as you're going about life, as you go about your work, as you go about your job, as you talk to your neighbor, as you talk to your relative, as you talk to your children, the bottom line is as you are going, Make disciples of of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. And he says, You're not alone in doing this, although I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. I wonder when's the last time we honestly can say to ourselves and before God that I am doing this. Man, I struggle with this. I want to do it more. I'm sincere about it, right? I mean, we want this for everybody because it can change their life, right? We believe that, right? Great, all three of you believe this, yes. So we get this idea that this, this is something that's important. It's something that that, that should motivate us. Is, that, is that It can change lives, right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. The idea, the bottom line is, some of you might be the only picture of Christ that some people see. And some people may never walk through the doors of this church, so therefore you must be a picture of Christ to them where they're at. And by the way, it's more than just being a picture. Some people have the idea that I don't have to open my mouth because they'll just see that I look differently. Will they? Let's be honest about this. The bottom line is sometimes what they see is not a pretty picture from a lot of us. And if we want them to know Christ, we're going to have to tell them. In fact, in Romans chapter 14, it talks about that. How shall they hear unless somebody tell them? We have to get beyond the point that we're just going to live it out to the point that we're really actually going to do something about it. We're going to open our mouths. So he says, therefore, go. Are you going? Are you making disciples? Somebody invested in you if you know Jesus Christ, right? Who are you investing in? Let's think about this just for a moment. What would happen just for a moment? Let's, just think about this with me. Just think out loud and you know, put your thinking caps on. What would happen to every one of us in this room this morning? Every one of us said, God, give me one person that I can win to Christ for you. Just one. Just one. Not going out to read the masses. Not going out to fill the stadiums. Not going out to you know revive across the entire state. What happened to every one of us? Just pray, God, give me One. Give me one person that I can impact. One person that I can lead to you, Lord. One person that I can disciple. One person that I can teach you to observe your ways. One person that that I can help be an impact on their life. What would happen in this church if everybody prayed that God give us one? Somebody tell me, what would happen to all these empty chairs? They'd be filled. Don't you think that would bring pleasure to the heart of God? Don't you think that would bring rejoicing? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But the Barna Research Group estimates that nearly 95% of all Christians have never led anyone to Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. I wonder if that would be true of us. I don't know if that's true of us. I do know this. that Years ago, I, did a, uh, a, I had a circumstance whereby I was candidating at a church to possibly be their next pastor. And we had a question and answer time. And one of the questions was, have you ever led anyone to Christ? Now, keep in mind, I'm sitting in a room full of 65 and ups. 65-year-olds and up. And when the question went around the room, the only ones that had led anyone to Christ were two of the nine or ten people that were in there, and it was their children back when they were seven or eight years old. That means they had not led anyone to Christ in 40 years, approximately. So Barna says, of all the polls that we've done, of all the research that we can gather, we guess it's somewhere around 95% of people who claim to know Jesus Christ have never led anyone to Christ. And I know, because I've been on both sides of this, that there are those of us sitting in the congregations, well, God didn't call me, he didn't give me that way. God never called you to control the outcome, but there cannot be a positive outcome if you don't open your mouth. Right, we got to start taking the effort, making the effort. We got to start taking some steps, folks. And I'm preaching to me as fast as I go like this, I got at least three coming back at me. Right, because we're all needing—we're all needing this. We are all needing this. James chapter four, verse seventeen says, "Therefore, to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is." So he says, if you know that you should be doing something as a child of God and you don't do it, it is sin. But for far too many of us, it's a sin that we'll want to deal with the guilt of. I have to admit, there have been times in my life where I wanted to do something and just haven't. I wanted to lose weight for years. Man, as I said before, I went to the alley fitness every day for a year and went swimming. You know how much weight I lost going swimming every year, every day for a year. Zero. My wife comes like, "Did you enjoy that?" No, I didn't enjoy that. No. Walking in that room, taking my shirt off with all these toothpicks around me. No, I did not enjoy that. I know better than scare the water out of the pool. I did it for one reason. Part of it is I want to walk my daughter down the aisle someday. I feel like I had to do something. But even more so, I want to be in shape where God can use me. And I honest that God felt with, I believe this with all my heart, that if I didn't start the process of losing weight, I felt like I would not be here in 10 years ministering. I felt I'd be either in the hospital or dead. I believe that with all my heart. Until you believe in something, until something so great motivates you nothing will change my story might be weight loss what's yours what's it going to take to motivate you but I want to serve God till I die I want to walk my children down the aisle I want to grow old with my wife and because of that it motivated me to do something about it what's going to motivate you most of us can look at certain parts of our lives and we say, it stinks. It rots. I'm tired of it. But it must not stink enough. It must not rot enough. You must not be tired enough of it, otherwise, you change. Is that true? Oh, it's getting quiet in here. Is that true? Because when you finally get sick of it, you'll do something about it. We're not sick enough of it. And too many of us are willing to live with the circumstances. Too many of us are willing to just accept it as, oh, well, it just is what it is. But I'm here to say it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Until we view it as God views it, nothing will change. Can I just say this? God wants to use you. I know that's true because it tells me in God's word. For the eyes of God run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on him on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. He says the bottom line, he goes, I'm looking for people that I can use. And you don't have to be good at what I'm asking you to do. You don't have to have talents. You don't have to have skills. You don't have to have abilities. All you have to be is available. He says, I'm looking for that person. My eyes are running across the entire earth to do one thing, to show myself strong through whoever will let me use them. That's who he says I'm looking for. I'm just looking for people who are available who will let me use them. But until we say no to God, or as long as we are willing to say no to God, then God is not going to use us as he could. Second Chronicles 16.9. In Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, it says in the New Living, I like how it phrases this just a little bit differently. It says, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile jars of clay containing this great treasure. What is that? We have the treasure of salvation in this life that we have. And he goes on to say, this makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. The bottom line is it's God giving us the power and it's God wanting to work through us to reach people for the cause of Christ. He wants to use you. Now think about all the different people that God has used over the past. Let me just list a few. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, Moses had a speech impediment. He says, God, you know I'm not a very good speaker. You know that I can't really go before Pharaohs. And God's like, oh, really? You lived 40 years in the palace of the king. You've had the best education. You tell me you can't speak. Really? But just in case that is true, I'm going to give you Aaron. So eh, on that excuse, that's not going to work. How about Jeremiah chapter 1? Jeremiah was way too young to be used. Really? God says it doesn't matter about your age. The matter is whether or not you're going to let me use you or not. Uh, remember Genesis chapter 9? Whew, there's a scary one. Noah goes out and gets drunk. And God still used him. Imagine that. That God uses somebody who's not perfect. In Genesis chapter 27, Jacob lied to Isaac. You say, well, he's no good. He can never be used. God end up using him. In Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham was considered too old. I mean, how can how can God use somebody this old and bless somebody that old? I mean, come on. That's that's far-fetched thinking, isn't it? Or how about in Matthew, the disciples, they're gathering with the Lord Jesus Christ to do what? Pray. And they can't even stay awake. So if God can use someone with a impe- speech impediment, and God can use someone that's considered too young or gets drunk or lies or is considered too old or, or how about Peter denies Christ or the disciples to fall asleep? Let me ask you, what's your excuse? What is it that you're willing to let God help you through to use you? What's your issue? What will you have to overcome to let God use you? you say, well, I'm just not smart enough. That's not valid because it's not you. you. Say, well, I'm not a good speaker. That's not valid because that's not you. It's God working through you. Say, well, I, I just, I'm, I'm shy. Well, that's not an excuse because God says yeah, I've given you all power and I'm not going to give you the spirit of fear, but love, power, on mine. What excuse can we give that's justifiable in the sight of God? No, nah, there we go, none. We don't have an excuse if we're honest with ourselves. Now, let me be honest just for a moment. Are there certain gifts that some people have that others don't? Yes. Are there some personalities that are easier than others? Yes. But just because I may not be outgoing, just because I may not have that flashy personality, just because I may not be the best speaker or have these gifts, doesn't mean that God can't use me. And that God won't use me. You see, it's about being available, and it's like God worked through us. Because if it's all about me, what do I need God for? If that's all about my abilities, what do I need him for, right? The bottom line is, we all have issues. The question is whether or not we're going to let God help us overcome them to be used for him. We all have issues. None of us are perfect. But let me also say, there is joy in seeing people come to know Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Psalm 126, verse 6. Psalm 126, verse 6 says, He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seeds for sowing, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. There's joy. There's joy in planting the seed. There's joy in knowing that God could use you to bring someone else to Christ. There's joy. Luke chapter 15, verse 7, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. He says, there is, there is joy, there is rejoicing when one sinner comes to repentance. But far too often, we're part of the 99 that don't need it because we already got it. We're good. We're set. Thank you. First John 1 John 1.4 And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. What things? I want to know Jesus. There's rejoicing. When's the last time you've had the joy of being used of God to impact another life for Him? Has that ever happened to you? It's exciting when it does happen. I wish I could say it happens more often. Oh my gosh, I wish I could say it happens weekly, but it doesn't. But I'm challenged, I'm motivated. So I want to see that kind of joy in our hearts. I want to see that kind of joy in our church. The joy of seeing people come to know Jesus. As we go forward, let me just say that Sharing starts with caring. So, Pastor, that's a cute little phrase. Sharing starts with caring, but it's true. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 17 just for a moment. This first jumped off the page to me when I saw it this week. And as you're turning there, let me ask a couple of questions. Do you care about the lost? Do you honestly care about them? Does it bother you that people are dying and going to hell? Does it bother you? Does it bother you that there are people who don't know Jesus? Or are you okay with that? Sharing starts with caring. In Acts chapter 17, verse 16, it says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens... His spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was given over to idols. Let me kind of give you a Kentod paraphrase. He's sitting there in the city. I don't know why he's sitting there. He's sitting there, maybe he's at the gates of the city, maybe he's walking through the streets, I don't know, he's just kind of hanging out there in Athens. And everywhere he looks, he sees idolatry. And his spirit is growing with more angst he's frustrated, he's discouraged, he's got a holy anger, he's upset, because everywhere he's looking, he's seeing the idolatry all around him. And with the idolatry, it means that there are people who don't know Jesus, and there are people who are going to die and go to hell. Let me ask you a question. Is it really that much different in our day and age than it was in the days of Paul? Paul? Let's be honest, is it really that much different? I don't think it is. I think our idolatry is just a little bit different than theirs, but idolatry is idolatry. They might have worshiped gods. We worship boats. We worship cars. We worship houses. We worship money. We worship positions. We worship relationships. We worship fill in the blank. Look around our culture. We worship diversity. We worship selfishness. We worship self-esteem. It's all about me. We worship a lot of junk in here all around the United States. Look at all the culture around us. What is what are people worshipping? It bothered Paul deeply to see the city given to idolatry. Notice the humanism that is around us. The secularism. The pride. The arrogance that is all in our culture. I don't know about you, but this is kind of frustrating to me. Um, I struggle with this one. I want to so desperately scream out in defense of God sometimes, right? I see what's going on all around us in the movements and the LGBTQT and all, all these other things, I say, that is crazy wrong. It's, it's, it's unrealistic. It's just, it makes no sense whatsoever, and I want to just scream. Then I think to myself, <laughs> I'm reminded that God doesn't need me to defend him. He doesn't need me to defend him but I'm also reminded that I need to pray and trust God to do what I cannot. As Paul looked about the city, I'm sure he didn't just sit there, well, I guess it is what it is. Hmm. Oh, well, another day. On to chore number two. No. It says, therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily and with those who happened to be there. He said, God, whoever you put in my path, Whoever you have me come in contact with, whatever sphere of influence I might have, I'm going to talk with them. When's the last time we had that mindset? Because I'm guilty of it. I got to-do lists. I got things that need to get done. Important, important, important things. All right, who are we fooling? Who are we kidding? It says, Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preaches them Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to Areopagus saying, May we know that this new doctrine of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Let me ask you a question. Might what we have to say to a lost world be a bit strange? Yes or no? But you notice what it did when they heard what these strange things proclaimed were? It caused them to have questions. And now he has the ability to address their questions. And we've said it a thousand times. All of us have a story. And if nothing else, we can share our story with those who have questions. Verse 22, he says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things, and has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and he determined their pre-appointed times and to the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of our own pet poets have said, for we also are his offspring he goes on just talks to them you want to know about this god who's changed my life you want to know about this god that i serve you want to know about this god that i proclaim and he just begins to speak to them when we open our mouth we have to understand god is going to speak through us and as he does that it'll create the questions and god will give you the answers but his spirit provoked him within when he saw the city given to idolatry. Do we care that there's a world around us lost and dying and going to hell? It starts with caring. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16, says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel, Paul says. If Jesus cares for these people, then Paul says, I have to care too. And as he looked around, it bothered him at what he saw. I want to, all of us to turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 15, if you would, just for a moment. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 15. Three things that God showed me again this week that I thought were really good. Three examples of how Jesus cared. And oftentimes Jesus spoke through stories called parables, Right? We talk about the story that God has given to us and sharing our faith and the story that God used the, the circumstances of our story that we can be used to impact the lives of others. But He gives three examples here: it's the shepherd who lost the sheep, a woman who lost a coin, and a father who lost his son. Look at verses four through seven, if you would, with me. It says, "What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them?" does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. No. Stop right there. Don't look up. Look up here just for a moment. He says, What kind of man who loses one won't leave the ninety-nine to find it? Why does he go looking? Because he cares. He cares. And he's willing to go find that one that has been lost. But here's the moral of the story. The principle of the story is one in verse 7. I say to you that likewise, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Think about that for a moment. The object of the story is not that he was just a good guy who went and found the lost sheep. I mean, goodness. Well, he has 99. What's, what's the matter of that one? It doesn't matter, right? I mean, he's got 99 other ones, right? No. The object is that he cares for that one. That one is important. And then he comes back around and says, I say to you, likewise, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner. He cares for the one. He cares for one. He cares for you. And then there's the story of a woman who lost a coin. Uh, We see this in verses 8-10. through It says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Isn't that amazing? I mean, let's stop right there for a minute. She found her coin. Woo! Yes! See, man, she needed that coin. I mean, those other nine weren't enough. This one adds to it. It just completes it. Boom, done. But wait a minute. The story doesn't stop there, does it? He wraps it up by verse 10. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Is it that she just cares for the one coin she lost? No, she has nine other ones. But the story isn't about the coin. It's about the one that Jesus cares for. And and just in case you're wondering, if you can see this from here, these words are in red. That means Jesus said it, right? Jesus says you need to care for the one. These are Jesus' words. And then... He gives us one more story as if two weren't enough. This is the parable of the lost son. Or you could say it's the parable of the caring father. He goes on, tells the story. and I won't read it all, but I will read the end of the story. Verse 24 says, For this my son was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and is found. And they began to be merry." Down verse 32 says, It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. What's the story? Just the great story about a kid who took everything he had, and left, and spent it all, and then came back dirt poor and hungry? No. God cares for his children. And God cares for that one who was lost but now is found, who was dead and is now alive. I love it when you look at this thing. Like a shepherd who cares for the one. Like the woman who searched for the one. He says, there is more joy in heaven that angels will rejoice over one sinner who repents. I'm so thankful that God says one. Because when I think of reaching the masses, that's overwhelming. Isn't it overwhelming? To think just. Thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people, and you say, I'm just one person. Yeah, you're, that's exactly right. You're one. You're one that God went after. You're one that God can use. And I could challenge you this, that you're one that could reach one. There's rejoicing in that. He says in verse... 7, 10, and 24, there's a process of going from death to life. I started with one. You're one. You're one. Who do you care for that you could reach? Who's one person that God might use you to impact? Just you. Reaching one other. Who might God put in your sphere of influence? Who might you pray that God would work in your life to impact theirs? And remember, it's not about how good or you are or how good you ain't. It don't matter. It's about God working through you to show Himself strong, right? remember what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus what kind of mind did Jesus have it was a humble mind for sure from the text but it was a mind that cared for people that's why he went to the cross that's why he gave his life and if Jesus loved people shouldn't we love people enough to reach them In Proverbs chapter 11, this is a familiar verse, maybe you've read it before. It says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Now, I don't know about you, but I can look at this message and have lots of things that come to my mind. I can almost, if I'm really good at it, if I just think about it long enough, I can justify in my mind why I don't do it. Maybe you can too. I mean, sincerely, God understands. He knows my schedule. He knows my skill set. He knows how much I don't know. And man, we can be all sincere about it. We can be honest about it. We can be well-meaning about it. But the outcome is the same. A sort of silence when it comes to sharing our faith. say, well, Pastor, are you trying to make us feel bad today because we're not witnessing every day of our lives? No, I'm not. I'm really, really not. If you feel that way, blame the Holy Spirit. I'm just the messenger saying what's in, in his book. But here's what I would like to say. I think we all could do a better job. God never called me to control the outcome. I say that all the time. You've heard me say it dozens of times over the last eight and a half, nine years. God never called me to control the outcome of what I do. But he has called me to make an effort. And that's inclusive of every one of us. Every one of us that know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you're excluded. But if you know Jesus, you're called. That's fact. My challenge for all of us today is will you let God use you? If God can use someone with a speech impediment, if God can use someone who people thought were too young to lead, or too old to have children to impact a nation, or if God can use somebody who denies Him, or somebody who is a liar. Or a drunk. I'm pretty certain God can use you and me. Just saying. So what's your issue? What's your excuse? I know this. I didn't lose any weight until I really started caring about it. I use that illustration because it's real to me right now. And I'm not done. I'm kind of cheated of late. I've got to get back at it. And I say that because there are times in our lives as believers that we make decisions. We're fully committed. We're all in. We jumped in both feet. And for whatever reason, you've backed off. For whatever reason, you're not as engaged as you used to be. For whatever reason, you're only giving 50% rather than the 100% you used to give. Can I just challenge you? Jump back on. Jump back in. Ramp it back up. I want to see God do something. I don't even care if he does it through me. I'd like to see him do it through you. I want to see God do something. Sharing starts with caring. And caring starts with praying. Starts with praying. God, would you send people across my path that I could impact God, would you give me doors of opportunity to share my faith? God, would you show me who I should speak to next? And when you do that, tell me God won't answer that prayer. Come back and tell me after a month of praying that God just didn't give you any doors. I I, I challenge you. But I'll make you a commitment. As God is my witness, I will make this commitment to each of you. I will pray for you. For God to give you doors of opportunity if you want it and I ask you to pray for me the same I challenge you to pray for me that way because I want to be effective in this area I want to see God bring me souls for his glory I want to see God give me opportunities to share my faith with others but we as a church we've got to do a better job of this anybody agree we've got to do a better job Someone said a long time ago, I want, to, I want to go to heaven, but I want to take as many people with me as I can. I, like, I don't know who said it first, but I like it. I want to go to heaven, but I want to take as many people with me as I can. I can't save anyone, but I got to show them the way there. Amen.